0: In today's podcast episode, we're gonna have a conversation about the modifiable risk factors for age-related depression. Now, before you tune out, I know that's a mouthful, so let me explain. The link between hormone decline and depression has been debated for decades. So I'm gonna show you the facts from medical research and let you draw your own conclusions. So stay tuned as we dive into this hot topic today. Here at the Optimal CEO Podcast, we help CEO entrepreneurs who love taking ownership of their wellness journey because they know it's their most prized investment. And when their state of wellness is at its peak, their income soars. We want to help relieve CEO entrepreneurs from the pressure of unnecessary health exposure so they can be highly focused on growing their business and physically optimized for the journey. So They can enjoy getting there. Thanks for joining me on today's episode where I'm going to shed some light on the link between hormone decline and depression. Uh, Treatment is often decided by political and egotistical forces, economic forces, that the average person has no idea even exists. Uh, experts and pundits, many of them who are staunch supporters of Big Pharma's agenda, argue that there's no such relationship between hormone decline and depression. The, the facts are that uh, they actually try to bury the truth deep in mountains of their own research. Um, for example, uh, when they have articles published in medical journals that support their stance, uh, and they're such prolific producers of this material, the good information just gets buried. The other part of that is is that um, they actually have uh, representatives, pharmaceutical representatives. They run ads that actually push their agenda. Uh, the pharmaceutical representative will actually go into a medical office and bring uh, one of those articles with them. So the medical provider actually gets uh, inundated with uh, the uh, the biased uh, research articles. Now, it, it totally flies in the face of research uh, in, in general because research is supposed to be non-biased. But uh, in this day and age, unfortunately, uh, there—if you follow the money, if you follow who the writers of these articles are—in many cases, uh, they actually receive money from pharmaceutical companies. Uh, and there's actually a federal government website where you can go and look up any. Um, medical researcher, uh, speaker, anything like that, and see who who they receive money from. Uh, But that's a side note. Uh, So before we get started, I have to lay a foundation here. Um, There are actually three mindset challenges that we have to deal with in order to have an open, honest discussion about whether age-related hormone decline actually is a modifiable risk factor for depression. Um, The The first mindset challenge is conformational bias or cognitive bias, and let me read you a quote by um, a guy I really respect, Dr. Neil Rosier. Quote, ultimately what drives our opinion is that which we learn first, and how well we're able to defend that opinion or position. In addition, that opinion can remain cemented in our mind as our brains will not allow conflicting data or information to change that which was first implanted. This phenomena is commonly referred to as confirmational or cognitive bias, end quote. The second mindset challenge is reductionist treatment. Now, before you get overwhelmed with that word, reductionist, let me explain what I mean. treatment can be reduced into one of two models, uh, the disease model and the human systems model. Um, The disease model only follows rules or laws or axioms. Uh, It can be replicated and modeled. It's very predictable and it's equal to the sum of all its parts. Um, On the other hand, the human system model is very um, the, the rules are bendable. They're malleable. Uh, the system is very adaptive. Uh, it can't be reduced to component pieces, and it's definitely not always predictable. Yet, the problem is, is when we reduce humans to a disease or illness-based model of care where rules are followed 100% of the time it's called reductionist thinking. The human system doesn't fit into this reductionist box uh, full of rigid, unbendable uh, laws. The reductionist view actually makes everything complicated. When we force people to fit into these narrow algorithms and rules and rigid boundaries, uh, what I affectionately like to call boxes, Uh, Artificial intelligence supercomputers like uh, Dexter and Watson are actually out diagnosing medical clinicians. Um, This is only one example. There are actually many examples. But in the the radiology world where uh, X-rays and MRIs, CAT scans, ultrasounds get interpreted by human, uh, Dexter and Watson are actually uh, about 98% accurate whereas humans are in the 70th, 70, 70% accurate range. Now, of course, that's gonna vary person to person, but the bottom line is, is artificial intelligence, because we forced human beings into this disease model where rules are, are never bendable, they're 100% accurate, um, a computer can actually uh, predict a lot of things. Now, let me give you some examples on the opposite side on the human systems model. Um, uh, of how, compl- how the complexity of the human body should be viewed and how our thinking should move more outside the box because not everything can be explained uh, or diagnosed or treated by a computer algorithm. Uh, the first example is, and, and this is going to blow a lot of people's minds, uh, but it's some new research that just came out. If a father is stressed out um, at the time of conception, the stress reaction Actually changes the RNA sequence in the sperm and passes through to the child, uh, so that genetic code for stress actually passes through to the child, and the child will have a predisposition to abnormal stress responses throughout their life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first heard that, or first read that, um, it it totally took me aback, and it and, and as A person with a background in, uh, you know, 20 plus years in psychiatry, uh, that really hit home for me. And I was thinking about all these clients that I've treated who were probably products of that exact uh, phenomenon. In fact, there's probably many of us uh, listening to this podcast that actually are uh, products of that phenomenon where we had passed down in our DNA um, these types of things. And as I'll discuss later on, uh, it can pass on for many, many generations. Uh, The second example of how complex the human system is and how malleable it is is, um, and this is actually a a really good example. Uh, Women with the uh, BRCA gene, uh, which is for breast cancer uh, 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 gene expression, can actually reduce their risk of having breast cancer by 30% by simply implementing lifestyle changes. So on on the first example, whereas we had a negative that changed the DNA for a negative and passed that down to the child, um, in this example, uh, the gene expression that's happening right now because of this BRCA gene uh, for breast cancer actually has some modifiable characteristics simply by doing lifestyle change. the uh, last example that I want to give you is uh, the example of childhood trauma and neglect. And I know it's it's kind of like the first example I gave, it's not really popular, but um, uh and, and when I talk about childhood trauma, it doesn't necessarily mean trauma that the child actually experiences. It can even be stress and or trauma that the mother experiences when she's pregnant. And, and again, this is just a, a mind-blowing phenomena that we see. Uh, and what happens is, is when that child, either in utero, uh, while the mother's pregnant, or actually after they're born, experiences trauma or neglect or undue stress that a, that a baby shouldn't be experiencing. experiencing, It can greatly alter the, the GAD gene, that's capital G-A-D, uh, GAD gene expression. In other words, these children don't produce uh, GABA, G-A-B-A, which is gamma-aminobutyric acid. That's an amino acid in the prefrontal cortex, the front part of your head. Uh, that actually controls anxiety, uh, and and sleep. So therefore, these kids, because they have this GAD gene expression deficiency because of trauma and stress, um, and they have this low amino acid called GABA, uh, they don't sleep well. They have uh, ruminating thoughts all night long. They toss and turn. And when they're awake during the day, they show signs of not being rested after they wake up. So the crazy part of this is, is if that wasn't crazy enough, is that these children with the GAD gene modification can carry these genetic changes as far as seven generations out. And what we're actually finding is is that those stress modifiable or stress induced uh, genetic changes, actually uh, all of them can be carried, carried as far as seven generations out. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that's a long time. And um, so current research is looking at, okay, what, we, what can we do to modify these after they've already been changed or passed down? That's something I don't have the answer for at this point, and, and medical research doesn't either. So what I'm trying to convey here is that taking care of the human system is complex, but should never be as complicated as the modern reductionist disease model makes it. Uh, That's the take-home at this point from, um, you know, our mindset challenge number two, which is reductionist treatment. Now, mindset challenge uh, uh, number three is understanding that the key to aging is adaptation. Uh, Hormonal changes leading to menopause or andropause, as it relates to the topic today, is not a single point in time. Uh, menopause and hormonal changes like male menopause or andropause is not just about um, gonadal hypofunction and gonadal hypofunction just simply means the low functioning of your ovaries or low functioning of your of your testes or testicles Um, it's much more complex than that Uh, each year all of us gets older chronologically on the timeline uh, I mean, there's nothing you can do to stop having a birthday. You can lie about it, but you're, you're still getting older chronologically. But all of us uh, don't age the same way biologically. Well, w- why is this? You know, it, it may actually boil down to adaptation, which is this third and final mindset challenge, uh, is that the key to aging is adaptation. So let's talk about that just uh, just a little bit more. Um uh, as we get older, changes that happen to us are not solely the result of age. Uh, however, as we get older, we have to learn how to adapt for the age that we're at. Uh, what we got away with in our 20s, we certainly can't get away with in our 30s, 40s, uh, 50s, and beyond. Um, so w- we adapt in a landscape that is constantly changing both internally and externally we've got uh external changes going on around us in our environment we've got these internal changes going on our in our bodies physiologically and genetically and some of us simply adapt better than others Uh, but the question remains why is this why do some of us adapt better than others Uh, i'll discuss the answer to this in a moment But while we're on the subject of age as it relates to adaptation, uh, let's take a look at the worldwide trends for depression real quick. Um, If you look at the incidence of depression around the world and separate these into categories by age and sex, you know, male or female, uh, the incidence of depression for both sexes starts rising in the mid-20s. For women, uh, this rise doesn't peak until the mid to late 60s, representing about 8% of the worldwide female population struggling with depression. And for men, uh, this rise in depression or global rise in depression um, doesn't peak until their late 70s, representing about 5.5% of the worldwide male population struggling with depression. Regardless of gender when asked to rate their happiness, those age 40 to 59 are the least happy when compared to every other age group. So the question here is, are we losing the ability to adapt over time as we age? If so, what's the cause? Uh, Now research shows that women and men in their 30s begin experiencing a decline in hormone activity by as much as one to 2% per year. And guess what? This starts in your mid to late 20s. Remember what I said just a second ago? Is um, that when when you break down and, and look at the incidence of depression in both sexes by age, um, the the increase in depression incidence actually starts in the mid to late 20s. So um, is it coincidence? I don't know. Uh, could it have something to do with it? Possibly. Uh, but before we answer this, so let's look at the incidence of depression among women in the United States. Since most of my podcast followers are in the United States, I'm only looking at data um, in the United States uh, at, in, in the next couple of slides. This, this one that, that we just took a look at was actually the global incidence of depression. Now let's take a closer look, dial it down to the United States and only look at women. Uh, according to the Centers for Disease Control and the National Center for St- Health Statistics, uh, women age 40 to 59 have the highest rates of depression. Uh, that's actually about 12.3% of the female population. Now, here's the crazy thing. That's female population age 12 and above. In this particular study, they looked, they considered um, the female population of, uh, of, of being uh, age 12 and above. Um, this group uh, is, is by far... Uh, the age 40 to 59 group, uh, the largest group at 12.3% uh, in their rates of depression. If, if you actually took out the 12 to 17-year-olds and only looked at 18 uh, years of age and up, that 12.3% would actually be um, closer to probably about 20%. Um, so this is this is hugely significant, regardless of whether you have the 12 to 17-year-olds in there or you don't. 12.3% of the female population is hugely significant. Again, why is this occurring as we age? Why is this age group between 40 and 59 struggling with depression more than any other female age group? Um, we'll hopefully answer that here in just a second. Uh, now let's take a look at men. Now, in order to understand men and depression, the the, in the purest sense of the form, uh, the numbers are significantly lower, uh, as far as rates of depression, uh, than females. Uh, wh- why, is this? Well, it's suspected that this is the case because men seek mental health services at a much lower rate than women. Uh, men typically bottle their emotions, keeping them silent until they act out on their depression. In other words, women tend to be more emotive and vocal and seek help early, whereas men suppress their emotions and act out on their depression, often past the point of no return. Uh, seeking help uh, actually a little bit too late. Uh, the worst manifestation of this acting out on the on behalf of men uh, in relationship to their unreported depression is is suicide. Uh, so here's the crazy thing: when you when you look at Uh, female numbers for depression they're about double the rate of reported depression for men but the key word is reported Um, and when you look at suicide uh, the suicide completion rates or success rates for suicide are actually double for men what they are for women so I I think we're looking at the same thing we're looking at depression in both groups Uh, they're manifesting in different ways one is being reported one's not uh, one has less acting out in the form of suicide, one has a higher rate of acting out in the form of suicide. Um, uh, suicide um, rates are the highest among men, guess what, age 45 and over. Uh, they peak the first time uh, between age 45 and 64, and and what do I mean by that? Well. Um, there's, there's a spike up starting in uh, their teenage years. It gradually starts increasing. It reaches its peak between 45 and 64. It dips down just a little bit between 65 and 74. And then at 75 and older, it goes actually through the roof. Uh, It significantly increases. So again, the question is why do these rates of depression and suicide seem to go up with age? Um, Let's take a look at some possibilities. So If age-related hormone decline is, in fact, a modifiable risk factor for depression, then we have to allow for the possibility that a reductionist view is very limited and will give us very limited results almost every time. Instead, we should view depression through the lens of the entire human experience or the human exposome now, what is this new word, exposome? Well, look at the first part of it, expose. Um, it's the sum of all the exposures that we accumulate over the course of our life. Uh, exposome research is actually one of the fastest growing areas of research. Uh, reason why is, is because... Um, The researchers who were working on the Human Genome Project or the Genetic Project, unlocking the genetic code, um, they didn't find all the answers that they wanted. In fact, uh, less than 3.5% of all illnesses could be accounted for by genetics. So they were saying, okay, what's the next step? Well, it's got to be exposure. And those guys, actually a lot of them switched over into exposomal research and uh, the, actual, the findings that they're, that they're uncovering are actually astounding. Uh, so yes, the, 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 the fact that genetics can only account for about 3.5% or less of all illnesses um, and exposure, they, they estimate at this point, and I think that's actually gonna go up, accounts for about 76% of all actual illnesses uh, that they know of. So um, I propose that hormone decline may only represent one aspect of the complex matrix that makes up this thing we call age-related depression. Um, We should also take into consideration our ability, our lack of ability to adapt to these exposures over time. And hormone decline may play an important role in this loss of adaptability as well. I'd like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the Optimal CEO Podcast. I hope you found today's podcast informative and helpful on your personal optimization journey. You see, we love our Optimal CEO entrepreneurs, and thanks to people like you, the Optimal CEO community is growing. You can help us with that continued growth by giving us a like, sharing this podcast with your friends, or subscribing to our podcast feed. This is Dr. Brian Brown. Here's to you being the most physically optimized CEO entrepreneur possible so you can have an even bigger impact on the world through your business. See you next time, and thanks again for listening.